Sarah the Bible Bitches. That's correct. Welcome. Welcome. And I am here with the one Sarah E. Haw from and L.A. County, California. I am Laura Barclay. I am from Louisville, Kentucky. <laughs> I am a Baptist minister. And if, I am not even remotely on edge right now. <laughs> and as it turns out, Laura's become a robot. And we're, you know, we're just going to accept her as she is. Thank you. You're welcome. I really feel accepted in the apocalypse. How will Sarah edit all this content together? Tune in to Bible Bitches to find out. We have have a super fun guest speaker tonight. Do you know how at the end of every episode we always think Aaron Doodles? Well, guess what? We are bringing live, not live, Aaron Doodles to you right now. Aaron! Hi, my name's Aaron. My actual name is Aaron Doodles. No, my board yes. name is Aaron Doodles. It says Aaron Doodles on my driver's license. We are- <laughs> you are from what planet? Uh, well... I claim Earth. I'm an Earth immigrant. Good. I'm an Earth immigrant. Yes, okay. good. Can I pause this for a second? Because we all sound so aggressive. <laughs> I am offended. We're chill. So chill. We're so chill. Hello. Hi, how are you? <laughs> so chill. I'm, I'm so fucking chill. I'm so, like cold. Yeah. Hello, and we are Bible Bitches. A feminist comedic podcast at the center of religion and culture. Yes, and I am here with Laura Barclay, a Baptist minister and therapist living in Louisville, Kentucky. And I'm here with one Sarah E. Haw from L.A., California. Yes. An agnostic. That's awesome. I'm okay, but I am agnostic. Don't sell yourself short, Sarah. But we do have a very fun guest speaker tonight. You guys have heard of Aaron Doodles. Hopefully you're listening to the end of our podcast. I hope so, because at the end of every podcast, we think one at Aaron Doodles on Twitter. And guess what? Aaron Doodles is here live, not live with us right now. Mm -hmm. And this is my podcast debut. I've never been on a podcast before. What? I could not be more excited. Are you a podcast virgin? (gasps) I'm a podcast virgin. Are we popping a podcast cherry right now? Be gentle. Nope. <laughs> Not at all. We, we, will be, we will be firm but kind. Yes. That's right. And I have been asked here today to talk about my personal experiences with one Dungeons and Dragons. Yes. C&D. I heard it is super satanic. That's what Sarah and I know from our childhood. It's mm-hmm. satanic. It's bad. We should avoid it because conservative Christians don't like it, right? Yeah, that's why I've leaned in hard to it. Yes, <laughs> in that you don't know anything about it, but you're super pro Dungeons Listen, and Dragons. I've watched both Community episodes in which they play Dungeons and Dragons. Wait, so there's I'm, two? There are two. I've only seen the one. And I've gone to uh, his podcast, where it's like a whole podcast about uh, Dungeons and Dragons. Nice. And yeah. I have seen all of Stranger Things. Yeah, so have mm-hmm. I. And Dungeons and Dragons is a pivotal plot point. So, Aaron, I'm sure you're going to take us to the under the underworld, the upside down world, all yep. the underworlds, right? I hope you're, I hope you're prepared for a guided tour of the upside down. Come with me; I shall be your guide. Yes. How many three-headed dogs are there? Uh, all of them. All of them. Ooh. That doesn't. What is the number? Uh, last 18. count, forty-two. Sweet. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Although one's pregnant, so crossing fingers. Yeah. <laughs> Is it like a purebred kind of deal? It's like what, thousands can, of dollars. Wait, if a three-headed dog mates with a three-headed dog, how many heads does their children have? Nine. Oh, it's Nine. still, no, it's still three it heads. Cute? No, it's, oh. no, it's still three heads. But if you go two and three, 
Sometimes you have a two-headed dog. Sometimes you have a three-headed dog. It it follows the mother's it's side. It's like genetics. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Got it. Okay. So how does a dog mutate into four to five heads? So Dungeons and Dragons. <laughs> <laughs> Fair. Listen, these are the things, these are the biological Wait, interests that here, we have. Here's my question, Aaron. Is So you grew up in Kentucky. That's right, correct. Appalachia. That's very correct. Very similar to my context. Um, how did you get into Dungeons and Dragons? Because I would imagine that your upbringing was also similarly conservative Christian. How were you allowed to get into it? So my upbringing was actually not all that conservative, which is interesting because my grandfather was a primitive Baptist preacher. My family was largely a-religious until I was in high school or so. Wow. What now, is a primitive Baptist? You know what? I could not tell you the difference between a primitive Baptist preacher, an old regular Baptist preacher, a free will Baptist preacher. They're all different shades of Southern Baptist. Wait, but is it like somebody, is it like a um, circuit preacher? So I think that's the case, yes, because my grandfather had a church where he preached uh, on a typical Sunday, but also he was, he wasn't a full-time preacher. He was also a coal miner. So he would also uh, preach at other churches near, uh, in the region. I love how Kentucky this is right now. That's the most Kentucky story anyone will ever hear. You get did people. You get the Kentucky bingo prize. Yeah. <laughs> did did people pay tithe with moonshine? You know what? I bet they did. I bet they yeah. did. Aaron so, Smith, you have Kentucky bingo. <laughs> you hit moonshine, coal miner, primitive Baptist. Uh, also, my grandfather's, my great grandmother's maiden name was Hatfield. Oh. Of the Hatfield McCoys. Super bingo. Yeah. Ding, ding, ding. Okay, you're going to need to explain that to a The Hatfield and McCoys is one of the most famous feuds of all time that was played up by press that came in from outside of Appalachia. Actually, there are other feuds, family feuds, that happened where more people died, but this one got played up by the press because it sold papers. Um, for those of us listening... Uh, Laura's looking at me like I should already know this, and I'm like, hard pass, no okay. idea. Yeah, Google it. It's like uh, fam families feuding over land and certain things is sort of a part of America's history, and this one was a little bit manipulated uh, at the expense of Appalachian people. Absolutely. Yeah, the, the Hatfield-McCoy blood feud is a, it's a family feud that goes back to the Civil War. Mm-hmm. Um, and it uh, it has roots in the North versus the South. It has roots. A lot of people like to play it up as a sort of Romeo and Juliet story where one member of the Hatfields fell in love with a member of the McCoys and it became a family war out of that. But there's a lot more to it. It's a lot more complicated. And you're a Hatfield, right? Yes, that's okay. correct. So I did not grow up as, uh, I did not grow up as conservative, uh, honestly. So my parents were semi-conservative, but <laughs> were... Mostly a-religious until I was in high school. So I was introduced into I was introduced to Dungeons and Dragons when I was uh, in college. I think I was a freshman in college when I first started playing. That's why you got into it, because you did not grow up religious. You're basically a Satan here. Yes. That's a badge I guess I'll wear proudly. Yeah. <laughs> were, so were you, whenever you got introduced, so you were in college, and where did you go to college? So I went. I did my first year of college at the at uh, Pikeville College. It's now the University of Pikeville. After that, I transferred to the University of Kentucky, where I completed my degree in architecture. 
Okay. And so you got into Dungeons and Dragons. Mm-hmm. And was it because other people were into it? Or how did you hear about it? Through the interwebs? I was actually home in between semesters. And some friends of mine that I knew from high school had begun playing. And they asked me if I wanted to play. Fun. And I had never... I had, of course, heard of it before in the context of Satanic Panic, but I had never played before. I didn't know how to play. I didn't know any. I didn't know anything about it other than I knew the name. Okay. Right. And they invited me to play, and I said, "Okay, how do we do it?" You were like, "Sign me up for Satan." So. <laughs> so did you? I mean, like, obviously, you weren't a dungeon master then. That's correct. So. Um, how does one become a dungeon master? You're. You both are very excited about this. I can't wait to tell you more. Yes. Well, no. So, so a dungeon master is the one who creates the story. That's correct. And so, like, he creates the story and like navigates it, and then the rest of the people, mm-hmm. like, they make he the dungeon master is basically the world builder. How long does it take to become the dungeon master, Aaron? So, um, let's go back in time a little bit, okay. and we'll get there. Okay. So the um, so Dungeons and Dragons when it was was created by uh, by Gary Gygax. Gary Gygax did not create it uh, on his own. He had a team of designers. But they created the game in 1974. Uh, and it the game became uh, intertwined with the Satanic Panic terror in 1979. Uh, so there was a guy named James Dallas Egbert III. Who, he was a gifted 16-year-old in Michigan State. And he was an avid Dungeons & Dragons player and suddenly went missing from his dormitory. What? Son. Yeah. So Wait, his parents were convinced that because he played Dungeons and Dragons, he had gotten lost in these steam tunnels that serpentine beneath the campus of Michigan State and had uh, died down there. Oh my God. So, at, but he, so he's gone for a month. No one knows where he is. Everyone's convinced he's dead. Everyone's convinced that he has been drawn into Satanism because of his interest in Dungeons and Dragons. A month later, he turns up fine. Where was he? Uh, so I think that so there there are a lot of speculation about that. Um, and the truth is that uh, James Dallas Egbert was a um, he was struggling with a lot of um, so he was already a troubled, isolated teenager. He he was a teenager at Michigan State. He was struggling with his sexuality. He had a lot of other issues that caused him to. Um, to disassociate and leave school, mm-hmm. everyone just found Dungeons and Dragons to be a convenient scapegoat for his mm-hmm. uh, for his behavior. So Dungeons, Dragons, Satan, and it's just kind of easy to. That's correct. And, and, and he did uh, he did tragically take his own life in 1980, a year later. But it, it again, Dungeons and Dragons becoming a very convenient scapegoat. Fun fact: one of Tom Hanks' very first film roles. Was playing a character. There was a movie. I'm sure you like it all together. Yeah, it's good. So there's a movie it's called fun. in 1982. There was a movie released called Monsters and Mazes. I'm sorry, Mazes and Monsters, mm-hmm. starring a very young Tom Hanks in one of his very first roles. That was a dramatization of the story of James Dallas Egbert III. Really? Yes. In which Tom Hanks plays the the titular character who plays Dungeons and Dragons. Falls into uh, falls into satanic uh, falls into Satan worship, finds himself lost in the tunnels beneath his college campus and dies. After Mazes and Monsters comes out, starring of course a young Tom Hanks in 1982, 
uh, it sort of cements the story of what happened to James Al- James Dallas Egbert the third, despite what actually happened. So now I really want to watch that. Mm-hmm. And also, can we say here definitively that Tom Hanks fed the Satanic Panic? Uh, I think. To, to be frank, I think Turner and Hooch. To be Tom. Yeah. <laughs> Turner and Hooch. <laughs> yes. It is my opinion that Turner and Hooch did more to forward the Satanic Panic message. Then did monsters. Then did mazes of monsters. Say more. <laughs> it's the it's the whole dog aesthetic. The <laughs> yeah. drooling. Yes. Yeah. Yes. There's a dog. What is the... and cops <laughs> and Satan. Satan. Yes. So, in, <laughs> so in nineteen eighty two, in the same year that Mazes and Monsters was released, uh, Irving Lee Pulling the Second uh, takes his own life. Tragic uh, tragic suicide. Completion of a teenager. His mother knew that he was an avid Dungeons and Dragons player and blamed his suicide on his Dungeons and Dragons playing. And she she um, she began a group called Bothered About Dungeons and Dragons. Bad. For like sure. bad? Yes. Oh. But bad. Yes. <laughs> this is 1982. It is literally bad. Yes. So is this how it trickled down to us? This like- is exactly how... It found its way into the satanic panic narrative. Wow. So, so but, it's literally his mom, the, the founder's mom. Exactly. That's crazy. Yeah. That is wild. So thanks to, uh, so because of the 1982 movie, Mazes of Monsters starring Tom Hanks, that is a dramatization of the story of James Dallas Egbert III and the, the tragic completion of suicide of Irving Lee Pulling II, uh, and his mother's reaction to that suicide, that is how the dungeon dra- that's how the game Dungeons and Dragons found its way into the satanic panic narrative of the 1980s. When in reality, of course, there are a lot of reasons that people complete suicide, and there are a lot of reasons people play these sorts of games. And it's much easier to blame a game mm-hmm. on uh on someone's tragic behavior than it is to begin to really examine the issues that that person is going through. But that's also, it was also 1982. Yes. So like there wasn't this kind of larger cultural narrative of seeking out mental health professionals or any of that kind of stuff. Like that just wasn't around. Everybody was just kind of playing the blame game. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And so like, and you know, and it was like, that's just kind of, what they did is they were like, what's the easiest scapegoat? Right. You know, Mm -hmm. it's not like people were trying to deal with the trauma from like the Korean war. Right. You know what I mean? For sure. Also during the eighties, 1985 is when uh, Richard Ramirez, the notorious serial killer was caught. And when Richard Ramirez was on trial, he would, uh, the night stalker. Yes. Richard Ramirez, the night stalker who was caught in LA in 1985. Uh, which is a fascinating story. We're not going to get into it today, but it's a fascinating story. I highly recommend uh, reading about that. So he made his victims swear to Satan. He wrote a pentagram on his hand while he was in court. He made uh, satanic proclamations during his court hearing, all, of course, in a way to uh, to sort of inflate his character. Mm-hmm. But, uh, which... That, this was, of course, 1985, so the country was already in full throes of satanic panic. 
Yeah. So, which it only served to throw uh, throw fuel on the fire. And uh, are are either of you familiar with Jack Chick? Chick tracks. Yeah. Oh. Chick tracks. Oh shit. Yeah. So, I haven't heard about that in forever. So, Jack Chick has a hilarious track about Dungeons and Dragons. Shut up. Yeah. Okay, so our experience with Chick Tracks is they were basically these very conservative, um, almost like mini comics that were passed around our divinity school that some people had gotten a hold of, and they were very, very conservative and like laughable and simplistic about mm. how everything was Satan and it was everybody was going to hell. But right. they were also <clears throat> like it wasn't just they weren't just comics; they were like tracks that churches my mm -hmm. church mm -hmm. would purchase like lots of and then they would give them to us so that we could pass out to other people yeah. and they were very like she said like simplistic sure. in their theology and super problematic very problematic <laughs> for those of you at home a jack a, a chick track is a it's a small booklet it's about three inches by an inch and a half and it is an illustrated cartoon that in which people find themselves in these very implausible scenarios and must rely on their faith in God to save themselves. Uh, and the, famous, the famous one, I feel like, is the one where there's like a chasm, like you're on one side of the chasm and then like there's another side and the way to get over to it is like across a cross. Yeah. And then they'll also, they'll also create very strange villains like Catholics. Mm. <laughs> they'll be like Catholics yeah. are yeah. Satan you're like wait a minute I thought we were all on the same team like yep. it's very strange like, <laughs> <laughs> I mean yes obviously we are right. but. So I hate to, I, I, I really loathe to send traffic to Jack Chick's website but you can read all of Jack Chick's tracks on his website if you want to do that wow there is one called Dark Dungeons uh, in which a young girl is playing a Dungeons and Dragons type game and finds herself drawn into this uh, this satanic cult ritual <laughs> in which she must rely on Christ to pull her out of this terrible uh, satanic scenario in which she's found herself simply by playing a very innocent game of Dungeons and Dragons. Laura, are you um, are you ready to sue for them, like, you know, taking your life story and putting it into I'm a comic? very <laughs> angry. So, uh, recently, my friend here, Aaron Doodles, a.k.a. Aaron Smith, uh, has pulled me into a game called World of Warcraft. Um, <laughs> Can we please just not talk about Blizzard right now? I know. They suck because of sidebar. I don't know if this is still going to be relevant when <clears throat> this posts, but they took uh, basically the championship uh, gaming trophy from someone who was a protester in Hong Kong. Yes. And so that really sucks. And... I potentially could quit over this. No, well, so what they did was they, like, disqualified him, and then they took away his winnings and all of his previous, the previous winnings that he had made that they hadn't yet paid him for. Which mm. sucks. Yeah, and it was all, it's all a statement about the Hong Kong protest. So Screw it's, that, and we promote freedom. But I also want to jump back in time and just say that Aaron has promoted Satanism for me personally. Mm. By pulling me into this game where my uh, my name is now Vagina Dentata, and my face, I am un an undead warlock, and my face is just a face of teeth. I'd like mm -hmm. to point out that you named your character, <laughs> and you decided to play undead. <laughs> also, it really didn't take all that much arm twisting to get you to play the game. No, before. you were basically just like, you want to do it? And I was like, yeah. 
<laughs> That's how Satanism works. <laughs> right. It just takes one friend going, you wanna? And then you go, yeah. yeah. And then yeah. suddenly you're a Satanist. What happens? Weird. Yeah. So, Weird. Also, fun fact. Uh, people who worship the Christian concept of Satan are not Satanists. Those people are called Luciferians. Uh, really? Yeah. True. Interesting. Yeah. The modern concept of Satan, and by that, rather, the modern concept of Satanism, and by that I mean the International Church of Satan, mm -hmm. is actually a group of secular humanists mm -hmm. that unite themselves under the Church of Satan banner. Mm -hmm. it's a, it, it started as a joke. That's what I heard, right? Yeah, it started yeah. as a joke, and then people took it so seriously that they, like, doubled down on the joke, because... Yes. As I would too. These are the people that like sue for religious freedom on different yeah. stuff, right? Mm -hmm. like, or like it's just the, the kind uh, of like, like the Church yeah. of uh, Pastafarian. <laughs> you know what I mean? They wear the collagers on their head. Yeah, right? yeah. it's ridiculous, but uh, you get I, it. The 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 Church of Satan would be balked to be com to be compared to the Pastafarians. I'll have you know. <laughs> yeah. That would be the Church of Satan would be scandalized to be compared to the Pastafarians. Probably not, actually. The Church of Satan is very laid back. Yeah, they're very laid back, yeah, they're they're very laid back folks. They're very like, cool. Like, Luciferian, so people who would really be supportive of, uh, like, a Christian version of Satan. Yes. Right? What would that look like? You know, I, I don't have an answer for that. I know. I wonder what that would actually look yeah. like, because I don't know. Like, I feel like if if we're talking about, they would it would be uh, someone who would really hate people. They would really hate life. It would really hate. I'm kind of imagining. I I, I'm kind of imagining. Did you ever see the Doctor Strange film? No. So, so doc, in, in the film Doctor Strange. Oh yes, the, like with uh, yeah. Bened, Beneduct Cumberpooch. Yes. yes. So, so the, the so the bad guys in the Marvel Doctor Strange film mm -hmm. are um, they are committed to this extra dimensional being called Dormammu, and they believe that all of humanity is evil and and deserves to be destroyed. And the only way to restore righteousness and balance to humanity is to wipe it all out. Mm. So they're trying to bring Dormammu into our plane of existence. I kind of imagine that's what Luciferians are trying to do. That sounds They right. think that humanity is entirely uh, corrupt and needs to be wiped out. And thus, uh, hail Satan? I don't know. Yeah, Maybe. well, <laughs> I'm actually not so sure about that. But also, same east for Christianity with uh, the revelations and the apocalypse that they're like, we're just we just need to wipe out all of humanity because we're all corrupt. Where's the lie though? <laughs> Maybe. I mean I feel like uh, I feel like it depends on how you interpret it, right? Yeah, I'll see that. Which parts? Like revelation and like in times, right? So like if you are a Christian who interprets revelation to be like some people will try to oppress other people and there might be sort of an antichrist figure that comes from that like a I don't know a certain orange faced man with blonde hair and a <laughs> like that might hate people that don't aren't particularly orange faced you know that's I I just feel like maybe maybe that would look different than conservative Christians might might think so, we could totally go down a rabbit hole on this, but we're going to keep it with Dungeons and Dragons. Okay, so, Aaron, how does one play a, play a dungeon and dragon? 
So, so Dungeons and Dragons is currently in its fifth edition. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's been going since 1974. Mm-hmm. I started playing uh, in third edition, which I think was released in the early 2000s. Okay. So I, I played uh, I played through Dungeons and Dragons version three, version 3.5, version four. Uh, version five is the newest edition. It was released two or three years ago, mm-hmm. and it is so far the most popular uh, edition. To give a little bit of background, uh, Dungeons & Dragons is currently owned by Wizards of the Coast, which is owned by Hasbro, which also owns the properties from My Little Pony. In case there was any worry that Dungeons & Dragons is still satanic, it is equally satanic as My Little Pony. (laughs) To be fair. But My Little Pony isn't, like, that's, like, the most inclusive community, right? The bronies are, like... Everybody's like included in Bronies are a completely different episode. <laughs> totally different episode. But everybody's included. So they are. So uh in front of me, for those of you at home, I have three books in front of me right now. Uh they're the three core rule books for playing Dungeons and Dragons. Uh they are the Satanic Bible, the New Rule of the Law by Aleister Crowley, and a Christian Bible covered in cat urine. <laughs> No, no, no. I'm just teasing. So, the three core rule books for playing Dungeons & Dragons are the Player's Handbook, the Dungeon Master's Guide, and the Monster Manual. These are the three books that you need to play a game. I can only hear you speaking backwards in Latin, Aaron. Mm-hmm. <laughs> if we're So, here's the thing, audience. You go ahead and just play this episode backwards, and you're going to hear... You're going to conjure up Satan. You're That's just going to go straight to hell. Like- yeah, if you could... Uh, for those of you listening at home, if you could uh, find the YouTube video for O Fortuna and just play it in, on loop from here for the rest of the episode... That's going to give you an example of what's going on. Noise. So, like, what was your experience growing up? Did you did you experience any satanic panic with this? Like, did you even, like, acknowledge it or understand it as somebody who grew up in, like, a non-religious household? So, or was it just you didn't even hear about it till college? Yeah. So, my sole experience with Dungeons & Dragons and Satanism was... In there's an episode of Unsolved Mysteries, oh, sweet season one, episode two. One of the first stories in the episode is about a boy who was playing Dungeons and Dragons and who uh, supposedly fell into a cult that then uh, caused his murder. There was no evidence ever found that involved his Dungeons and Dragons, uh, his Dungeons and Dragons game group. No evidence was ever presented to tie his unfortunate and tragic death to anything having to do with his game or with his gaming community or his gaming friends. But it made for a great narrative in 1988. Did they ever solve the murder? You know, to be frank, I do not remember. So that basically episode, Dungeons and Dragons killed him. That's what I'm saying. Yes. <laughs> so, again, I started playing Dungeons and Dragons uh, one summer between semesters of college. It was version 3.0. Uh, what drew you to it? And some friends of mine that I had played game. So uh, I played Magic the Gathering, which is a trading card game for a long time. And I played with the same group of friends. Mm-hmm. I had sort of fallen out of playing that game uh, at that time. Would you consider it a gateway game? I would consider Dungeons and Dragons. I would consider Magic the Gathering a gateway game to Dungeons and Dragons, yeah. which is a gateway to Satanism. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, <laughs> Good. Mm-hmm. No. It's like Good. marijuana is a gateway drug. Yes. Uh, actually, 
Caffeine is the gateway drug. Oh, my bad. I'm so sorry. <laughs> True. Yeah. You're True. going straight Mormon there. So can I, uh, I would like to share another, uh, I don't, so I know basically nothing about Dungeons and Dragons. Um, all I know is, is from an episode of Community and also um, uh, Stranger Things. And so basically from Community, it is, it, they're able to set up and resolve a whole game of Dungeons and Dragons within about 20 to 23 minutes. Um, is that how quickly you can play a game of Dungeons and Dragons, Aaron? That is how quickly you can watch an episode of a television show about Dungeons and Dragons. Oh. <laughs> so how long does a campaign take to set up and complete? So it really depends on who's running the game. So when you play Dungeons and Dragons, typically you have between three and five what are called players, or player characters, PCs. So each player creates their character based on the templates provided in the player's handbook. So... Effectively, everything that exists in a Tolkien book can be found in the player's handbook. You can choose to play a human, or an orc, or a halfling, or a dwarf, or an elf. And from there, you can choose to play a fighter, or a cleric, or a sorcerer, or a wizard. There are multiple different races, there are multiple different classes. And as you get into the expansion books, there are additional races, there are additional classes the flexibility and creativity that you can apply to your character is almost endless with the game. Okay, I am an elf cleric. Can I jump from here to a brewery in one leap? Do you cast the spell jump on yourself? Yes. False. The cleric cannot cast the spell jump. Oh, shit. Oh, you got me. <laughs> Fuck. <laughs> Hold up. She didn't roll the die, so there's the possibility uh, that... Isn't there a possibility with the die? <laughs> Oh, yes. you brought the die. Wait, can I, can I, can I roll that possibility? One thing at a time. Okay. So, <laughs> so, so, when when uh, Laura first approached me about this episode, she said, "Hey, can we play a game of Dungeons and Dragons?" And I said, nope. "I guess." And she goes, <laughs> "Okay, cool. We'll have like an hour." And I said, "Okay." <laughs> so, because I thought it could be started and completed in twenty-two minutes, right? right? That's what ample time. Yeah. So typically, uh, when in the past when I've played Dungeons and, Dungeons and Dragons, you'll assemble a group of people to play. You'll spend your first session playing, which can be a game session. Our well, our game sessions tend to last between three and four hours apiece. You can spend your first entire game session just creating characters. Whoa! Because there's so much flexibility and creativity you can apply for your characters. Wait, can I ask? And it's literally building an entire world. Really? Right, yeah. So, so like, like... Well, here's my question. So could I be, like, an elf cleric that has endless power? I mean, I think, well, like, I, that's more can of I a question for, for you. But it's also, like, there are... Just as in any, like, within any world, there are ru rules about, like, uh, what you like can how much and I, cannot do. Like, how much power do. I can have. Precisely. Right. So, with the players... The player's handbook gives the guidelines to creating a character how to play your character. It gives information about what to do when you're in combat. Okay. If you're playing a class that has magic, it gives information about your spells and what the spells do and how they affect so the world. So I can't have endless power. No. Okay. So Loki, <laughs> basically, the people who decided that this was satanic were just jealous that they didn't come up with it first. Basically. Yeah. That's so, what it sounds like. Yeah. I like to put it this way. Dungeons & Dragons is... is do you remember playing pretend when you were kids? Yeah. Dungeons and Dragons is pretend with rules. Okay, it's that's cool. Yeah, it's how to play pretend as adults 
but make it in a framework that makes sense. Yeah. I'm into it. Yeah. Yeah. So, so like, whereas when you're a child, your the limits of your imagination were just already there. Now you have rules to hem you in. That's the yeah. That's the long and the short of it. Give me a fake roll to jump from here to a brewery. So and cast jump on myself, Aaron. So the basics, the basics of playing the game. Uh, so, question: Is there a godhood in Dungeons and Dragons? There is. There's oh, an entire. Okay. Is there a Satanhood? So there's an entire. So, the characters that worship gods or care about godhood in the game. There is a pantheon of gods that exists within the game, the same way a pantheon of gods exists within the Lord of the Rings mythos. So, but Dungeons I and Dragons has its own mythos. But that's problematic, right, for a monotheistic religion. I think that my understanding is that a lot of my understanding is that one of the main problems that monotheistic religions, particularly Christianity, has with Dungeons and Dragons is that, for instance, your cleric or your paladin, which is a sort of fighter priest uh there is a pantheon of gods from which you can choose to worship as your religious character in this game some of them are good some of them are neutral some of them are evil my other understanding with the problem that christianity has with dungeons and dragons is that in addition to the player characters there is what's called a game master game master is the generic version the dungeons and dragons term is dungeon master so the dungeon master sets up the world, the Dungeon Master creates the framework in which you're playing, and the Dungeon Master effectively effectively decides what you do, what you see, where you go, and what you encounter. So they're effectively the god of the world. And right. I think a lot of conservative people have a problem with the idea that a human is sort of playing god with these other characters within this game. So it's it's there's a god that is creating the gods. Sort of. I like to think I like to think of it like this. If you're playing Laura mentioned World of Warcraft earlier. When you're playing World of Warcraft, if you attack a, a creature or a monster, there's a series of algorithms that determines whether or not you hit the creature, what happens, what it does, when it dies, what sort of tr- treasures give you. The dungeon master does all the work of the algorithm in a computer game. So the dungeon master determines what monsters you find in the dungeon, what kind of treasure they're going to give you, what you encounter around the corner, how you solve a puzzle to escape. All of those things are determined by the dungeon master. I have a question about the, so the, like sort of the pantheon of gods in the Dungeons and Dragons mythos. Um, would you say they're sort of based on like Greco-Roman gods or Norse, Norse gods or like like, when you would sort of encounter them in the game, like, what does that seem like to you? So there are a series, the series of gods in the game, there are, there's an entire mythos associated with the pantheon of gods in the game. Mm-hmm. Um, for we instance, there is, the god of orcs is called Grumish, and Grumish has one eye because the other eye was removed by one of the other gods in the pantheon. So there, there's a long mythos of a, of, wars and encounters and skirmishes between these gods Mm -hmm. and there are sort of legendary treasures that have been blessed by these gods Mm -hmm. that exist within the world like a cyclops zeus kind of like deal like yeah it kind of sounds like that correct for instance the um when you the, the god grumish who is a again who is the god of a lot of the orc tribes there is a a very rare magical item in the game called the eye of grumish which is a literal eye that you replace 
in your skull for, with one of your eyes. So you effectively become the embodiment of Grumish in the world. It, this is a very this is a very high level item. You would sort of have to craft an adventure around that eye of Grumish if you wanted to do that. And just to be clear, you would literally have to remove your own eye in the real world in order to place the eye of Grumish in your own. That that's the implication. Good. Okay. Good to know. <laughs> so the sort of, in my opinion, the sort of fun part about playing. About, I kind of like that. Like yeah. um, I mean like. I feel like there is, like, real religious symbolism there. Mm -hmm. Because, like, you literally, like, to be part of religion or to choose religion, you have to kind of, like, replace part of your own rational mind with a choice to believe. You want to create a Christian Dungeons & Dragons, Sarah. I'm just saying that's just what it be. Fun fact, that's been done. <gasps> Wait, what? what? Why did not we why did Say we start there? More. Why did we not start there? There are I don't know the name of it off the top of my head. There have been a there have been a series of tabletop RPG games created by Christian by conservative Christians that sort of set up a series of um they use a similar framework Dungeons and Dragons, but they have more to do with the like for instance, fighting demons as followers of Christ, things like that. I feel like we the follow-up to this episode should yes. be a year from now, we all get back together. Yes. And we play that. One hundred percent. So really tune in version. <laughs> so FYI, this is gonna be an annual thing. Mm -hmm. Next year we're gonna play some D D, the Christian yeah. version. And there is going to be some demons. And some souls are going to get saved. I call Holy Spirit. I call Jesus. <laughs> I, I cast Miracle. I call, <laughs> I call Mary Magdalene. <laughs> Anyways. Oh my Thank God. you so much for being on the show. This has been amazing, Aaron. This is so fun. I literally knew nothing coming into this. And yeah. now I feel like I know just enough to get me in trouble. Yeah. <laughs> I haven't even gotten into the monster manual yet. We, yes, have to, we have to talk about the demons in the monster manual. There's a whole yeah. there's a whole pantheon of demons, and they have different challenge levels, and you can... Oh, oh, so much fun. Oh, oh, that sounds amazing. Okay, what I want to do at this point is I want to link you all to... Oh, my God. He is just pointing to Shadow Demon. Um, I want entire, to link you all to Aaron Doodles, who, whenever we come out with this episode, I hope, Aaron, will you agree to this? You will just start tweeting about Shadow Demons and the like so that people can learn about it. Uh, I will write entire Twitter posts about the Baylor. Fuck about yes. the dretch. Wait, can you write one about Casme, which looks like a very angry wasp? Casme uh, is a let's see, armor class fifteen, challenge rating six, and is chaotic evil. Yes, that's all you need to know. That's all you need to know. All right, so we're definitely going to link you guys to his Twitter, which is going to be a crap ton of fun. Yes, so fun. I so thank you for being on our show. I am pumped about this. This is great. I hope this is a spinoff show. Yes. <laughs> Thank you guys so much for having me on the show. Uh, I, I love listening. I love doing your art. I love being a part of the Bible Bitches world. I love being an honorary bitch. Yes, you are. <laughs> of course Absolutely. you are. Absolutely. And if you are wanting to follow us, you can follow us on Twitter at Bible Bitches, on Facebook 
um, on the Bible Bitches fan page. You can also find our podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, and SoundCloud. And big shout out and thanks to Aaron for being on our At show. At Aaron Doodles, and we can actually meet you Doodles. in person oh right God. now. Hey, I'm here. I'm right here. Awesome. I'm in the room. And of course, Engage Gaze for hosting our website, and also Yo Eves for doing our intro and outro music. She's fucking amazing. You guys need to listen to her shit. Um, and again, like we can't thank you enough, Erin. So you're nice fucking to have awesome. You in Hail Satan, everybody! <laughs> <laughs> All right, bye, bye, bye. Later.